well, it, again, it's uh, wonderful to be back. You know, we were out for a couple weeks. It's been a long time since I've been gone, two weeks in a row, and it seemed really strange. And um, it's wonderful to be back, but even being gone, it reminds us of how much we love y'all and how much we're thankful for this, this church and this great community. And, uh, you know, I want to thank Ryan. I want to thank Brett for uh, guest speakers that have come the last couple weeks and shared. Um, I also want to mention that this week, you know, we just celebrated our graduates, and, and it's important to recognize this week is also Memorial Day weekend, and that's really important to, rem to remember. It's an important day that's worth celebrating. And, uh, and, and I wanted to let you know we're going to really highlight that next week. We have a special test, uh, interview testimony of a veteran, and uh, we really want to give priority and importance to that, but to kind of uh, set that time aside so that we can give it the, the attention that I think it deserves. Uh, but I do want to recognize just the, our appreciation of those who have served, and especially those that have given their lives for our, our freedom. And uh, to, to mention that we'll be talking about that and, and honoring that even more next Sunday as well. But this Sunday, we're going to have a special opportunity of, of just hearing uh, the heart of somebody who's involved in the front lines of an important area of ministry. You know, as a church and as Christians, we realize that we live in a culture that is increasingly confused on a whole bunch of things. And, uh, and, and not only are we confused, but then you look at the church, and oftentimes it seems that Christians are nearly as confused as everyone else. So it seems every other week, you know, you hear about uh, some well-known Christian that comes out and says, well, I changed my mind on this, or I'm leaving the faith, or, or now I embrace this lifestyle, and, and I've changed my mind on this or that issue. And, uh, and we look at it and say, why is there such confusion? And I think one of the important things that we need to realize is that part of the confusion is, is really rooted in the fact that we don't, don't have a solid foundation in the truth. You know, it's not necessarily that we don't know what's wrong, it's that we don't know what's right. We don't know the truth. And, and I'll let you know, even in a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting a new series. We'll be introducing it and explain what we're doing and why and where it comes from from Scripture. But really saying, how do we go back to these foundational truths? Because the more that we understand the foundational truths, see, the less we will be susceptible to the deception and confusion of our culture. And, and we need to do that. Now, out of all the issues that I think our culture is really confused about, I don't think there's any that we're more confused about than the issue of sexuality. And, uh, and again, that's where we need to come back to the truth. And I'm, I'm thankful that God is raising up people within the Christian church to help us know how to do that. And, and out of all the people and ministries that I'm aware of, I can't think of any that's more effective than authentic intimacy, and specifically the leader of that, Julie Slattery, who also happens to be my sister, which is how we get her to come and, and share here. And uh, Julie has just been on the front lines, and, and, and I'm so thankful for her ministry. I'm thankful for her agreeing to be with us today. I'm going to ask Julie to come, and, uh, and she's going to be sharing with us her heart today. Thank you so much, Julie. Sure. How, for, how, how do you say no to your brother, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've got that little extra pull. You so. do. Yeah. So well, thank you so very much for being with us today, and uh, thank you for your ministry. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful. Let me begin our time with a word of prayer. Yes. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we do have to come, and Father, in the midst of this confusion, that we have the opportunity to come and find clarity, not in any person's opinion, but Father, in your design, in your word, in your truth. Father, I thank you that you give us clarity. And for those of us that are confused in our culture, Father, for those that are confused even in our own 
in our own feelings. There are people I know that are here today that, that face confusion, that face um, struggle on these issues. Father, I pray that you would speak. Father, I thank you that you brought each person here today. And I thank you that you brought people that are with us online who, who may be struggling, but Father, you brought them here because they need to hear this message. And Father, I pray that you would open up their hearts, each one of our hearts. Father, that you would now speak through Julie and that you would let us hear your heart, your word, your truth, uh, truth that is freeing and restorative. Father, I pray for your blessing now on our time and our discussion in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Julie, for those that don't know you and don't know authentic intimacy, tell us a little bit about what authentic intimacy is and what you do. Well, our mission is reclaiming God's design for sexuality. So it's a ministry that I started about nine years ago. And um, basically, we speak about God's perspective of sexuality and that, how that relates to all aspects of life, whether you're single or married, uh, whatever a person might be struggling with, how do we engage in cultural conversations. So uh, we do what I like to call sexual discipleship, which sounds like two words that are weird to put together, um, but the culture is very comfortable with the term sex education. But discipleship is that relational journey of how do we surrender our thinking and our perspective to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So um, we and do that through all kinds of resources. That's an important issue because when you think about it, you say sex education. The fact is the church hasn't done this very well. Mm -hmm. And as a result, because we haven't talked about it, we haven't felt comfortable with it, the culture has stepped in and has really discipled are, you know, discipled us. Many of our thoughts about sexuality come more from the culture that surrounds us than from God's word. Mm -hmm. And so this is a really important issue for us to say, how do we jump back into it and, and really learn to think from a biblical perspective on this really important issue? Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, I, I think of sex education as teaching you what to think about something. Discipleship is training you how to think about something. And, uh, and so our heart's desire is to train Christians, how do we think through these issues? Not just memorizing a list of rules, but really uh, grappling with God's heart in the midst of questions. Now, I've got to say one of the things that's amazing is how God uses us. And, uh, and, and I, I see that from you as you're being your, your older brother. It's amazing that God is using Julie in this ministry. This is a girl that was so shy. I mean, that if you said, anything, really, any word related to sex. If you just said the word sex, you know, she'd, she'd get all red. And, and uh, I mean, she, it's amazing that God has pushed you into an area that is seemingly so against your nature. That's and, very true. You know, but you, you saw this need and God pushed you in towards it. And that was nine years ago. And just in the nine years that when you started this, things have changed radically. You know, what do you see happening in the culture? Well, I think on the positive side, we see a lot of conversation about sexuality. I, it used to be, even 10 or 15 years ago, that conversations about sex were um, awkward, that they were filled with shame. Um, and we see through things like the Me Too movement, uh, just a willingness to say, hey, there's a lot of pain represented in our sexuality. And instead of hiding it away, instead of pretending that it doesn't exist, 
Let's bring it out in the open. Let's talk about it. And so I think that's a good thing within the larger culture and within the Christian culture. Um, some of you grew up in churches where uh, you would be like, how in the world are they having this conversation in church? Uh, has God left the building? Because it feels like God doesn't talk about these issues. Uh, yeah. And that's not true in what we see in scripture. But I do see that that's a positive movement that we're having conversations that have been needed for many decades and we're having them now. But the news isn't all good. Certainly we have seen within the last 10 years or so a dramatic shift in how we define sexual wholeness and brokenness. Uh, and as you mentioned in the introduction, even within the family of God, there are shifting views of the purpose of sexuality, what God says is okay, uh, what it means to be healed or redeemed. And so there's a tremendous amount of naming things that we would traditionally say are not good or not healthy, now we're celebrating those things. And uh, the most obvious one is around the whole LGBT spectrum. We see in the younger generations that there's actually a push uh, to think of gender as something that's fluid, to think of sexual orientation as something that is um, whatever you want it to be. Um, some research recently came out that Gen Y, which is the high school students and college students of today, 16% of them identify as LGBT. In our generation, it was 3%. Uh, and so there's this dramatic separation of sex not being primarily about relationship, but being about my personal identity, my self-expression. And we'll likely continue to see that progress even further in the days to come. And that's important because when you hear about you know, 3% to 16%, that's not because biology has changed. No. That's not because of, you know, that you know, people will say, well, this is who you are and it's just the culture. No, that isn't, that isn't biology that is changing. That's cultural change that's taking us away from God's design. And, and I mean, that's huge to realize that it, I'm not downplaying or, or, uh, or, or you know, ignoring the fact that you have a lot of young people that feel those things. Um, but you have to look at that and you say, well, where do those feelings come from? You know, did they come from who I really am or did they come from a culture that's really pushing this change? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not only in the area of LGBT. We're, we're seeing that these younger generations are encouraged to think about sex, again, primarily as self-expression, not as relational. And so the research also shows that Gen Y, only 30%, no, it's 20% of Gen Y uh, would say that marriage is something that they hope to accomplish by the age of 30. Uh, and so they're not valuing commitment, relationship, intimacy, having a family. It's more about how do I discover who I am and live that out freely. And so it's really the narrative, the message of what it means to be whole has completely shifted in our culture today. And that's playing out in a lot of different ways. And so when you take the issue of sexuality, when it's designed by God to be part of this whole thing, and it's wonderful there, when you separate all these pieces out, the pieces by themselves really are, they don't work. They're just, they're just functional. And, uh, yeah. and you see that happening, playing out culturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, is there anything else that you see that why it's changing so quickly? I mean, you know, many of us were sitting there and we're just, you know, you, you, you blink your eyes and it's like the, the whole world's changed. Yeah. I feel like even the last two years, 
Um, there's been such a rapid increase of normalization of gender fluidity and, and trans conversations, and some of you are experiencing that in your families, in your schools, and it is very important to ask the question, why? What has changed? Uh, and those of us who have been on planet Earth for a little bit longer, we know that there's a dramatic increase of this. This isn't the way things always were in our culture. Uh, and so it is important to ponder that question. And sometimes I'll ask that question when we have like trainings and things like that. And people say, well, it's the smartphone that did it. It's the internet that did it. It's our universities that are so secular. They're training us how to think this way. And those are all certainly pieces of this. But I think, Mike, it's more important to go back to the root of why these things are changing. And I think we can actually find the answer to that question in Romans chapter 1, which, um, which a lot of people would be familiar with as a passage that talks about sexuality. Um, but it's a good reminder that actually Paul faced this in the early church. The Roman culture was very sexually confused. A lot of the things we see happening today were happening back then. And that's, that's a huge point. I, I, and, and when I, you know, when you said that even in the first service, it was like, whoa, we stop. Because if I understand that, it really impacts my understanding of where we're at now. You know, because a lot of times I'll talk to people and the perspective will be, oh, things are getting worse and Satan's winning and culture's gone down the tubes. And, you know, we, we hope that Jesus, that just shows Jesus coming back soon, you know, that, that we're not going to win this battle. We're just trying to hang on until he comes back. And, and I hear that a lot, but what you're saying is that this isn't new, that, that this kind of confusion, this kind of brokenness isn't new. This, this has been happening. This was the case when the church was first started. Mm. And not only that, but that God spoke through Paul and gave guidelines to the church then how they were to live in this kind of sexual confusion and brokenness. And the church did it, and not only did it, but brought hope to that brokenness and literally changed the culture. Yeah. And, and if God did it then, then we should have hope that God still can do it now. Yeah, the history is that the people of God shine bright in dark cultures. And it's a good reminder. Uh, you, you all might guess based on Mike and my personality, our family is a really serious family. Uh, and so when we get together for family dinners, uh, the Ripka clan, we talk about sad things. <laughs> it becomes about politics and about how, oh, the world is getting worse, and oh me, oh my, the sky is falling. And, and, um, and we need to be reminded that there's good news and that, that Jesus is in the midst of this. He's not surprised that he calls us and to be change agents in the world. Now, your husband is the only one that has a sense of humor. And so, like, even if we're at different tables, it's like, you want to be with Mike. You know, he's going to make us laugh. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, or, or we start to laugh. and He tries. Yeah, he tries. He, he's like, like, usually by dessert, he's like, I give up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and there is reason for joy, and there is reason for hope. And not that, not again, that we downplay any of the seriousness of any of this. Um, but these are things that have happened historically. God has spoken. It, it's not like, oh, you know, that happened in the past and we don't know how to live. No, God has spoken to the church that was in this kind of confusion and gave truth that is still as relevant today and still brings the same hope of transformation as it did way back then. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing truth. Yeah. It really it's hopeful. I, I don't know about you. If, you know, if 
if you ever get discouraged, this is hopeful. This, this gives us hope to move forward mm-hmm. and it gives us hope for our culture. It does. So, well, let me read Romans 1. Yeah. Refer um, to that. Yeah. Before you read it, if I could just give some context. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, often we think about Romans chapter 1 as the, the passage in the Bible that most clearly talks about homosexuality. And some people will call Romans 1 the clobber passage of the Bible because it's the, the passage that people say, see, this is what God says about what's happening or what you're doing. Um, I would invite you, as Mike reads this, to listen to it through different lenses. What Paul is really saying is that uh, homosexuality, and he's going to list a whole lot of other behaviors that we tend to engage in, those are symptoms. They're not the problem. That actually the symptom is the fact that we have a disorder in our worship. And when we worship the wrong way, then all kinds of relational and sexual chaos will come out of that. So mm-hmm. go ahead and read. Okay, let's start at Romans 1, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory. I just read that, and I just think about all the people that claim to be wise and the people that know better in our culture, and I think, boy, that describes it. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for, for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to the base mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. But what a powerful passage. Mm -hmm. And it sure sounds like the days that we're living in, in that list, like, yep, check, check, check. We do all those things. Uh, But really what Paul is saying here is that Creation screams out to us that there's a creator to be worshipped. And that as we look at the stars and the sky and the trees and water, as we look at the beauty of what's around us, as we look at our own bodies, it's saying you were created by an awesome God. But what Paul is saying is instead of worshipping the creator, we denied that truth and we began worshipping created things. 
And he says that uh, the Roman culture was worshiping idols of animals and reptiles and human images because that was the God of that day. Mm -hmm. The God of our day is humanism. And so we don't worship idols, we worship ourselves. We worship our own humanity. So we're really all swimming in a culture that is saying, you are the source of all truth. Uh, and God must align with your perspective, not that you must align with his perspective. And what Paul is saying is when we have that posture of instead of humility before God, an arrogance of what I know, what I experience, what I feel is truth, then even our very desires are gonna to begin to be twisted to where we don't understand what's good anymore. And there's a sense that spiritually God gives over a culture that is reveling in their own worship. And, uh, and so I think it's really critical to answer the question, why are we seeing this rapid increase of sexual confusion and brokenness? We're confused about sex because we're confused about God. And so the answer isn't to have the conversations about sex. We have to return back to what does it really mean that we're created by the almighty God? Yeah, which is so different than the way that I think many Christians think. You know, often, traditionally, we often would think, well, here's, you have church and worship, and what's that have to do with my sex life? And, and if anything, you know, well, the Bible just tells us not to do certain things or to practice by certain rules. And you're saying that, no, what we do here actually should define our understanding of our sexuality, that, that it starts in a relationship with God, that that's the core of everything. Is that... That's what you're saying? Yeah, it's the framework for everything. Um, A.W. Tozer, who is just this great author, he, he wrote, the most important thing about you is what you think of when you think of God. It's how you think about God. It defines everything, including how you experience and make sense of your sexuality. And I think you're right, Mike, that we really, most of us have grown up in a church culture that didn't integrate these two. There's this category of my life that worships God, and then there's this very personal, in some cases, shameful category of my life that God seems to have nothing to do with other than judging me. And that's really not true of what the scripture says. The scripture says that uh, all throughout the Bible, sexuality is actually this revelation of the nature of God written on our bodies. Uh, whether you're young or old or single or married, your sexuality is a context of speaking of the love of God. Uh, and that message really has not been taught in our day and age. And it gives context for how Christians are called to think about these issues and how it applies to our personal lives. And that makes also a huge statement because when you think about that it's written into us, it's in, written into our, as an expression even of our relationship with God, that defines, it suggests defining sexuality as a wonderful and important thing. You know, where again, I think a lot of people see it as kind of, well, it's not that good, or it's, you know, we tend to, I think a lot of people perceive the Bible or Christians teach, think of sexuality in negative terms. Yeah. And you're talking about it in the most positive, glorious terms possible. Yeah, hopefully I'm not just talking about it that way. It's the scripture that talks about it that way. Um, you know, think about it this way. The Bible begins with a wedding in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve. They're naked and unashamed and they're doing stuff. And the, uh, that's <laughs> the first commandment. The first commandment, be fruitful and multiply. Be naked, have lots of sex, have lots of kids. 
And, and Adam had a hard time with God's commandments. I mean, that's like, that sounds yeah, pretty good to me. That was a but, good yeah. commandment. Um, so the Bible begins this way. They're without shame. Uh, and this is where scripture says, this is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And then two will become one flesh. And then we fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation. And we see another wedding. But this wedding is between Christ and his bride. And so it's a spiritual wedding of Christ being united, one in spirit and flesh with his church. And the amazing thing is that you're using sexual imagery it is. to describe that, which is what amazing concept. Right. And that's true in the Old Testament, too. The prophets use sexual imagery to talk about the nation of Israel's relationship with God. Now, Paul connects these, the wedding in Genesis and the wedding in Revelation in Ephesians chapter 5. He goes back to Genesis and he quotes Moses, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united, two will become one flesh. And then he said, but I'm really speaking of a mystery. I'm actually talking about the next wedding in Revelation, Christ and the church. Mm -hmm. And what Paul is saying there has really taken me years to understand and unpack. But what he's really saying there is everything about our sexuality was created to be a form of revealing the covenant love of God to us. And that when we think about gender, when we think about marriage, when we think about sexuality, we have to recognize that this is God's way of giving us a human experience that helps us understand the way that God pursues us, the covenant promise that he's given us, the passion that he invites us into celebrating, the oneness that we experience with him. And that's what gives sexuality this beautiful context and it also helps me understand why God says there's important rules in how we steward this gift. Now that, you know, so it's, it's really defining then sexuality in the most positive, glorious terms. But even in that, it makes me think you might have someone who's single and thinking, well, that's great. Once you're married, you get to celebrate that, but I'm single. And, and um, so how, you know, how does this whole picture of God's redemption and picture of sexuality work in if I'm single? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I think one of the things we need to realize is based on what we're describing, based on all of scripture, do you know to be married is the temporary state and to be single is the eternal state? And so Jesus said that there's not going to be marriage in heaven, essentially because we don't need this picture when we're one with Christ. And so those of us who are married, it's temporary, like we were made to be united with the family of God, to be part of the bride of Christ and to be united with him. And so it actually gives great purpose to single Christians. And I'm sad that in the church traditionally, we have, we have reversed it. We've made singleness sound as if it's the temporary state. And like, you'll be fine once you get married. Where in scripture it's no, marriage is a wonderful metaphor that is for us to look at and say, wow, that's a beautiful picture of Christ in the church, but it's a temporary thing. We're all actually supposed to be working towards what does it mean to be united as the family of God, anticipating that ultimate union with, with our Savior. And I think if even the scripture talks about, you know, Paul says, honor Christ with your body. Even in that, I, I mean, we haven't talked about this before, but, but I often think that people perceive as well, don't dishonor God, but it actually is calling us to honor God. Now, again, as somebody who's married, that's easier for me to understand. But for that single person, how do you honor God with your body, with your sexuality, um, when you 
again, when you're not married, you don't have the, you know, God's license or God's design at that stage of your life to celebrate that. Yeah, I think part of it is realizing this. Uh, you know, married people struggle with this too. Yeah. In that, I think sometimes we've set it up as if only single people need to have self-control and only single people need to surrender their desires to the Lord. If you're married, you know that this is a different kind of journey of surrender and self-denial, uh, that it's a different kind of struggle to honor God with our bodies. Uh, and so we need to have more honest conversations that, hey, our, our nature, the way we want to use our sexuality is always going to be twisted. Mm -hmm. And to be a follower of Christ means that I'm continually surrendering that to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's a little bit of a different struggle as a single Christian than it is a married Christian, but it's still a great call. It's still a struggle. It still means not giving into what I want right now, but how do I use my body in such a way that it's a blessing to somebody else and it's a blessing to God. And so to some degree, no matter what stage we're at, you know, every aspect of our life, including our sexuality, is something that we seek to exercise in a way that actually grows us closer to God. Yeah. And, and again, that's, that's, that's hard to understand. Yeah. You know, I think for, you know, for many that this is like introducing this new idea and it, it's, you know, because it's so countercultural to our, uh, you know, to our current cultural values. And I'd say it also is countercultural to our church culture. Yeah, that's true. Um, because you grow up hearing that the only rules are God created sex. It's for marriage. Don't do it. And it doesn't give context for this greater picture. And that probably leads into, you know, one of the criticisms over the last, you know, back uh, 10, 10, 15 years ago, the big thing was purity culture and it was all about the rules. It was, you know, uh, almost, you know, just don't say, you know, just say no, don't have sex until you're married. And, and, um, and there's been a lot of criticism of that. Now, you know, why, as you look at that, why is it that people are saying that it's so harmful? How do you respond to kind of that, not only that movement, but also the reaction against it now? Yeah, purity culture is being blamed for a lot of things. Uh, it's being blamed for a lot of pain. And I think in many cases, that's a legitimate blame. Because what purity culture did was it took a piece of God's design for sex, save sex for marriage, and it built a whole theology out of that. Instead of explaining God's heart, uh, God's heart for our brokenness, God's redemption. So here are a few of the think damages that have come out of this. First of all, it it communicated the message that your purity comes from what you choose to do sexually, and those who have experienced um, sex outside of marriage, those maybe who are engaging with pornography or have been sexually uh, traumatized. What they hear, hear is, well, now I'm not pure, but this person over here who hasn't experienced those things is pure. Now, the message of the gospel is that neither of you are pure, that our, actually our purity doesn't come through what we choose to do sexually. We're all broken. We're all sinful. We've all messed this up in one way or the other. And our purity actually comes through knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord, and taking on his righteousness. And so it created sort of this legalistic thinking that uh, somehow I can, I can be good with God because of what I choose sexually. And if I've messed up or I've been hurt in that area, I'm forever damaged in his sight. And that's just really not the truth of the gospel. 
Uh, it's created sort of an us versus them conversation of the people who get it and the people who don't get it. Uh, it's, it's made God seem like he's not keeping his promises. A lot of young women grew up hearing, if you save sex for marriage, God's gonna bring this beautiful marriage and it's gonna be this wonderful experience. And then they grow up and either don't get married or they enter into a marriage that has a lot of pain. And then it's like, well, what gives? I did my part. Uh, why, didn't, why wasn't God faithful? And it's really simplifying what is a profound, complex message of what it actually means to be faithful to God and experience his faithfulness to us. Uh, so I think we really do need to press on that old purity message. But the problem is a lot of people are just throwing away biblical sexuality yeah. because of that instead of pressing more deeply into what the scripture actually says. That's a part of truth, but not the whole truth. And I think of, as you talk about that, the purity, it's not only that, you, you know, what you kind of mentioned is that we're all scarred and we all are. I mean, I, you know the numbers better than I do, but I, what is it, around 50% plus 50 plus of percent of women that have been sexually abused in some way? Um, the numbers are likely underreported, but the numbers we have now are one in three okay. and one in six men. But most people believe that's way underreported. Now, now, part of what that means for those that are here today, there are many women and many men that are here today that are victims of sexual abuse. And you feel like you're alone and you struggle with the whole concept of purity. And I'm not, not, you know, I'm not pure. You feel like, and, and you feel broken. And one of the things you need to realize is number one, there's a lot of people just in this room that that story's true of them as well. And we can't continue to hide in shame, feeling like because this makes us impure, we have to hide, because then we hide from God's healing. And not only that, but then if we take all these other things, not only that, but then what we've done, okay, where we have pornography, okay, well, the vast majority of men here, you are or have been struggling with pornography. That's most of us. And women. And women as well. Now it's becoming increasingly with women and those that are involved uh, outside sex before marriage, outside of, you know, we're all broken. You know, you know, there isn't a one of us here that isn't bringing some degree of brokenness into our, of our, you know, of our sexuality into this equation. And, and because we, we feel that and we feel, you know, this concept of purity culture, then we feel, you know, uh, stained. Um, we failed God and then we hide. Mm -hmm. And, um, or we tried to do the right thing and then we, you know, we, we don't ever deal with these scars in our past. And then we're like, God, why aren't you blessing me? You know, and, and you look at that and there's so many dangers. And, and, and one of those is, again, is that the church doesn't talk about sex. It doesn't talk about abuse. It doesn't talk about scars. It doesn't talk about, and we need to. We need to be a place where we say it's safe and you're not, you're not dirty. You're not an outcast. You're, you know, this is, this is a place where we got a bunch of hurting people coming and dealing with these really important issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this needs to be the safest place in the world to talk about sexuality and sexual wholeness. And, and I think it's a really humbling place to start conversations about what's happening in our culture. If we keep reading after Romans chapter one, guess what comes next, Romans chapter two? And the first thing Paul says to the, to the early Christians is, but who are you to say anything about this? Because yeah. you're doing the same things they're doing. And I think Jesus wants to bring us all to the place where we're not judgmental, but we're humbly broken before him and saying, God, cleanse me first. 
help me first, uh, and then use me as a broken vessel who can pour your love and grace into other people that are hurting. Because these issues represent a world of hurt. And for some of you, even this conversation is bringing up things that are very painful to think about. Uh, and so our posture needs to be, God, bring healing into my life first and let that pour through me to others. And so if you're here today, there may be people that are here today and you're not sure you're here, you're online, you thought you did this on a mistake and you know, God brought you here. And, and you need to hear this message. And if you're hurting, God wants to meet in that hurt. There are people that are here that are struggling with, we have people in our church that I know not only have family members that are struggling with LGBT, I know we have people that are here in our church that struggle with that personally. And God has you here. And, and it's important to say, I need to say as a pastor, we want you here. You don't clean up to come to God, you come to God as you are. And, and come and meet him and let him change us, let him touch us. And so you are welcome here no matter what the issue of struggle that you're dealing with. And I'm glad that brought, God brought you here today because it's his pursuit of you that brought you here to hear this message that he wants to speak to your soul. Hmm. Thanks for saying that, Mike. Uh, and here's the thing. I think we all, even in culture, recognize that this is an issue of pain. We have a very different solution mm -hmm. for where we go with that pain, and that's where we in the world will separate. And even that's where a church that is following God and is teaching the word faithfully as you do will separate from, from Christian congregations that, that don't believe that the healing power comes through Jesus Christ. And there is healing power. I mean, I know, and you, you deal with people, I deal with people, we have people in this church that have come out of the host of the LGBT um, struggles and that God has brought healing power. And, and we don't, again, say God's truth. It isn't judgmental. It isn't to make people feel, it's to invite people to God's design, to health and to wholeness and to healing. Mm -hmm. and, and the fact of the matter is people are healed. People mm -hmm. are in it. And, and God does amazing things to people that, that are defending, well, I have the right to do that. Meanwhile, we're, we're doing the thing that breaks us and God mm -hmm. has the ability to heal and to restore. Mm -hmm. And that's important. That's important for those of you that are struggling with that. It's important for you, you know, for those that are, that are dealing with friends or loved ones that are struggling to recognize this is the power of God to change lives. Mm -hmm. And it does change, it did then, it still does change lives. Mm -hmm. Amen. So um, now, I, I, you know, we, I mean, this is such a, an issue that we talk about, like just there's such confusion and there's some people that think that opinions on gay relationships and gender fluidity are optional for Christians, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, that, uh, and, and again, we know of people that come out and take different opinions on this. Um, they, you know, they say, well, the Bible isn't clear. How do you respond to that? I'm sure you get those questions all the time. Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's really important to ask questions before you answer. Um, because usually somebody who's asking that kind of question uh, has a story behind it. When we, talk, when we talk about Christians who say, I used to believe this, but now I believe this, I think you need to ask them what changed. And they'll never come back and say, well, I was reading the Word of God, and it, it dawned on me that God is actually saying this. They will always tell you a personal story of, well, my son came out as gay, or uh, I saw the way the church treated my sister 
who struggles with gender, and I just know God would never be that judgmental. And it's true that the Christian church in our day and age has been not embracing, not loving, not showing the love of Jesus Christ around these issues. Uh, we have been hypocritical and judgmental. Uh, we haven't shown compassion and humility. And so I think first we need to listen for the story. But then I think what we need to recognize when we talk about the word of God is that you can't change the meaning of the verses that deal with sexuality without changing a whole lot else of scripture. Uh, that every sexual issue really comes out of what we believe about God. And so if I'm going to go to the passages that address sexuality and twist them and reframe them, then I'm also doing that with a lot of other key passages and even my understanding of the Bible. We see churches and individual Christians who go away from a biblical understanding of sexuality go away from a biblical understanding of everything, including the authority of Scripture in our lives uh, and we have to recognize that the gospel is offensive. The Bible is a very offensive book, and it should daily offend you when you read it. Uh, and it's not primarily offensive because of what it says about our sexuality. It's offensive because of what it says about our humanity, mm. that we are lost, we are broken, we are fallen without being redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And people don't want to hear that. It doesn't matter whether their struggle is sexuality or money or um, greed or you name it, alcohol. We want to think that we're okay on our own. And it's offensive for somebody to say that we're sinners. Uh, but that's where the power is, Mike. Uh, when, when the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. First of all, a lot of people were ashamed of that gospel. Back then, yeah. just as they are now. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and then he said, but I'm not ashamed because I know that it is the power of salvation for those who believe. And so we need to understand that the broader story of the scripture very clearly says what God's design for sex is, but also more importantly, why we need a savior in every area of our lives. Yeah, and it's important even when you talk about the you know, this, you know, that we're sinners. That's not your sinners. It's we're sinners. I'm in the, I'm in the category of broken. Uh, I'm in the category. We all are that. And, and that means that I can't look down at anybody. Uh, all I can do is to say, I, here's how I'm surrendering to God. Here's all the stuff that he's pointing out to me. Here's what it means for me to be able to surrender to his lordship in his life. And now I'm inviting you to have that same relationship with God. But, but also recognizing that a lot of people perceive that as a negative, hateful message. If we talk about sin, you know, well, well you know, God is love, God's accepting. And no, the gospel is, is bad news and you can't understand the good news until you understand the bad news. The bad news is that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And the good news is that God loved me so much that he sent Jesus Christ to be the savior. But I will never have a relationship with Jesus Christ as my savior until I recognize that I'm a sinner that needs a savior. And so churches that, that downplay that are keeping people from really understanding their true relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And um, it's wonderful news, but, but the sin part of it is essential to understanding the grace part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's very true. And it's most of us who have a story of falling in love with God will tell a story of him meeting us in the worst places when we were hopeless and we were broken and we recognize that. 
Yeah, and even as we grow, he still meets us in our brokenness. Yes, he does. Yeah, he does. Uh, and makes us more aware of that. Now, there are many that, you know, again, I know there's, there are people that are here. Not, n- number one, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I have friends, family. Um, I've talked to many of you that, you know, that L- identify as LGBT. But I would be sure that we have people even here today that are joining us in person or online that you're struggling with or either identified, come out, or struggling with the feelings of LGBT. And uh, what do we need to understand uh, about those who identify that way? Yeah, um, first of all, I think it's important to understand that they are individuals. I think sometimes we take this alphabet of LGBT and we think of it as an issue. And oh, you're one of them. Uh, When in reality, each person is an individual with a story. And this is not primarily an issue, this is people. And, uh, and so we wanna connect with people. We wanna hear their stories, we wanna care about them. We wanna recognize their individuality. Uh, there's a professor, Dr. Mark Yarhouse, who has spent his whole professional career working with those who struggle with gender dysphoria and transgender identities. And one of the things that he says is, if you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. Uh, And this is true of all things. If you've met one person who has uh, experienced sexual trauma, you've met one person. Uh, And I think sometimes with sexual issues, we tend to react to people as if they're in a category or a group rather than seeing them as a unique person that God has made in his image that has a story, that wants to be loved, that wants to connect. And so pursuing the personhood, not just reacting to what they present as. Uh, I think second of all, it's critical to understand that sexual issues, including LGBT issues, represent a tremendous amount of pain for the person themselves and for family members. Uh, I would, without even knowing it, I'm sure that there are family members here uh, who would, or individuals who would say, I've never told anyone in the church because of how they might judge me. And that represents huge amounts of pain. Uh, and just for those who are struggling, uh, this is not a fun, a fun thing to experience. The research just came out recently that 19% of LGBT youth attempted suicide in, in 2020. So 19% of youth in one year attempted yes. suicide. Yes. Which, that's amazing. You know, yeah. that our culture says, well, they struggle because they're not accepted. There's not a more affirming culture than you have now, but yet pursuing this lifestyle isn't fixing that. It's, it's not. It's, it's driving deeper into despair. That's yeah. amazing. And very often, if you experience uh, either gender identity uh, issues or you experience same-sex attraction or identify as bisexual, you're much more likely to have anxiety, clinical depression, uh, other aspects of mental health issues that represent a lot of pain. And so for individuals and families that are walking through this, we need to have a lot of tenderness and compassion. This is not about reading Romans chapter one and bashing them over the head and saying, don't you realize what God says about gender and sex? It's really about understanding that this is a hurting person in front of me that just really needs a, a safe place to talk, to cry, to be loved. Uh, and it's through building those kinds of bridges that we have the opportunity to share what God is doing in our life. So what's the best way to show love, to show Jesus to those that are struggling with that? Yeah, uh, first of all, caring and listening. Yeah. 
I just, I meet a lot of Christians who say, well, if I don't tell this person that what they're, they're doing is wrong, I feel like I'm being complicit. Well, no, like we don't treat, we don't do that with any other sin. We don't do that with any other struggle. Like I have to tell you what the Bible says. First, just love, mm -hmm. love your neighbor, whatever that looks like. Uh, listening, asking questions, being the person that's there, uh, making a meal, inviting them over for dinner. I, and it's love that gives us the opportunity to share truth when the time is right. That's great truth. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here. I do want to just now, you know, kind of give an encouragement to all that are, those that are here. We struggle with this. This is, again, this is an issue of such confusion. And Julie, I thank you not only for sharing with us, but, but also for all that you do in your ministry and the resources that are available. And I want to encourage you that if you're, um, you know, struggle with this and you want to have more resources, there's a lot that, that is available through your ministry. I know that your podcast, Java with Julie, you know, I, I listen to, you're always interviewing different people that are dealing with different subjects. And it's it great, so what, you know, great podcasts to subscribe to and Apple and all the different venues. And, um, and any job with Julie, anything to say about that as far as? Yeah, it's a great way to plug in. It's free. Um, we have a new episode released every Monday. And so uh, good conversation, good coffee. So I love coffee. Uh, and that's why I do the podcast, really. But, uh, but we've got lots of other resources. We have blogs and online book studies. And, and your website is? AuthenticIntimacy.com. Okay, and, yeah. and there's all kinds of resources there. Yeah. And, uh, and you've got books that are out. I know you have a new one coming out you know, this fall. And, and again, you know, I thank you for the resource that you are to the church. Mm -hmm. you know, you've really helped the church learn to talk about these things. And so thank you for sharing with us today for all that you make available to us as we you know, struggle with how to, how to understand and how to live in this culture. And, uh, and, and I want to encourage you that if you, again, if you want to go deeper, if you want to have a great resource, uh, you know, Julie's ministry is a tr has tremendous resources for all ages. Mm -hmm. And so whether you're there and saying, how do I, how do I love a, a grandchild? Or you're saying, well, I'm a, you know, a teenager and I'm struggling with transgender feelings. Um, no matter where you're at, there's great resources available to all. Yeah, and part of what we like to do is point to other ministries that are doing this work too. We're just yeah. one of many. Uh, and we ask that you just pray that God would give us courage. I'm still that shy little girl, Mike, um, but God gives me courage every day. And I'm proud of you as well, just preaching the word so faithfully in season and out of season here at Forge Lakes Community Church. Well, thank you. Can I ask you to close us in prayer, praying for, uh, for the people here? Lord God, we come before you and just thank you for this place uh, that you have set aside this day of Sunday that we're reminded to worship you. And we encourage each other by digging into your word and singing praises as your people. And I just pray, God, particularly that you would minister to those who this message has stirred up something in them. Maybe something that's been hidden that needs to be brought into the light for healing. Uh, maybe, Lord, uh, just a secret they don't know where to bring it to. Uh, confusion, pain about family members. I thank you, Jesus, that you said that the, the Father would send the Holy Spirit to be our counselor, mm -hmm. uh, to be the best psychologist ever, 
to lead us into all truth and to lead us into healing. And so I pray that you would do that healing work in each life today Amen. and that you would um, just give us the grace and the courage to cling to who you are in these dark times. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you again, Julie, for being with us. We thank you. And uh, God bless you and have a great Lord's Day.